everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is almost never the same, and our guests' professional successes along the way. Today's guest is an absolutely beautiful human, somebody that you might know from TV and somebody that you might know from life. She's one of those people when you see her, you're like, do I know her from TV or from life? And that's because she is a fierce, fierce fertility advocate. She had her own experience, which she's going to share. Look, nobody comes to infertility or assisted reproductive technology or any sort of medical assistance with the thinking that that was going to be their path, right? It's always an accidental path to treatment. But for Miss Kelly Stewart, our guest today, I don't think being a fertility advocate was something she woke up one day and thought, oh, this is definitely going to be part of my life. And yet... She has inspired so many women, Black women, young women, single women to take control of their fertility and speak out and share their voice. So I cannot wait for you to hear her story. Here is Kelly Stewart. Kelly, Kelly is here with us today. She is, as we explained, she is an incredible human, an incredible actress, activist, and almost an accidental tourist into the fertility community. I feel for you, Kelly, because every time you're on somebody's show, you have to tell your story about how you ended up into this community. So you can give us the very abridged version and then we can pull it from there. But welcome, and I'm so grateful and happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm such a fan and it's really just exciting to be here today and to talk with you. So yeah, the abridged version. So I gave away my best baby making years to the wrong man. I was in a relationship for seven years and, you know, we broke up several times. And then when the last breakup happened, I realized I was 37 years old and I was starting over and I had no idea about my fertility status. In fact, I never knew what AMH was, FSH was. I didn't have any clue really about my reproductive health. We broke up on a Sunday and because I knew I always wanted to have children and it was so important to me and I kind of panicked knowing that, wait a minute, I just gave all of these years of my biology away. Like, what does that mean? By that following Wednesday, I was in the fertility clinic and I was getting a fertility diagnostic test and I found out that I was a candidate to freeze my eggs. And so I didn't pause and called my mother, Mama Stu, as I lovingly call her. And I did it. I froze my eggs right then and there. And she's a Philly gal, right? You're a Philly gal. All the way. She's on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So I hear this. I've heard you tell this story so many times. I love it so much. So many people didn't, especially this was a few years ago now. Like it wasn't in our mainstream vernacular to be like, oh, I better freeze my eggs. So what had you thought about it beforehand? And I'm just curious with the ex, had you already talked about having children together at some point? Was that part of the breakup? Like I want the juicy part, what the details. Part? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, we had talked about getting married and we both wanted to have children and all of those things, but he and I were just not compatible. The reality was there was, I mean, the juicy juice was that there was a lot of infidelity that I didn't know about. Ugh. And after I found out about it, exactly. And I think sometimes when we're in that dating space as a single woman that wants children, we're not always asking, is this the father of my kid? Is this somebody that I want raising my kid? Or is this just somebody that's here with me because I'm lonely and I want my needs met? Sometimes we don't 
really look into the future far enough to say, is this something that somebody that I would co-parent with and that I feel like something ever happened to me, he's the one that I want to take over the job of parenting my kid. I didn't ask myself those questions, to be perfectly honest. So that was part of it. So the breakup was more about infidelity and incompatibility. I'm sorry. We, oh, it's, hey, we all go through it. Past, of course, we do. We always know before we know. You know what I mean? We always know yep. what's going on before we actually face it. So what was the other part of your question? I think I just... I get, no, I love that. So at that point, like, so you had, had you ever thought previously, okay, like maybe you broke up with him a couple of times where you like, if this doesn't work out, I'll freeze my, like, where did the idea even come from so quickly for you that by Sunday to Wednesday, you were on the case? Okay. Honestly, I had thought about it previously. And I think, you know, this voice inside of you or that gut instinct, that's kind of like, maybe I should look into this. Maybe I should Google this and get some information. I'm very much an independent researcher. So I definitely thought about it and looked at it, just kind of grazing over it briefly. But I was also on a show at the time and the showrunner was going through secondary infertility and I knew nothing really about it. And she said to me over a dinner table, you better freeze your eggs. If this isn't going to work out with this guy, you better freeze your eggs because I'm having a problem having a second child. And, you know, I believe when our gut tells us something that the universe conspires to assist us, you will constantly hear that thing that you're supposed to be doing. And so I would have just different instances where somebody would say something like that to me and I would log it. And what eventually happened is because we broke up on a Sunday, when he left and closed the door, I heard that same voice inside of me say, go freeze your eggs Mm. that quickly. Mm. And it was a Sunday, the Philadelphia Eagles were playing the New York Giants. I'm from Philly, like we said earlier. And he actually is from New York and Philadelphia won that night, just saying. And so (laughs) the morning I called my OBGYN for a referral for a fertility clinic. And I remember I'm a woman of faith that I prayed about it. And I said, God, if this is you, if that voice I hear is you inside of me, then this will go smoothly. This won't have speed bumps in front of it. And when I got the referral and I called the fertility clinic, they said, well, you need to be on your cycle, you know, for us to do an accurate assessment. And I happened to be on my cycle. Mm-hmm. And so then they asked me what day and I told them and they said, well, do you want to come Wednesday? And because it was so quick and it was in walking distance from my house mm. that I never knew that that building housed a fertility clinic. And I went, this is a thing. And so, yeah, I didn't hesitate. I went in on that Wednesday, got all the information. And then I decided what month I was going to do it. I did it over the holiday as my Christmas present to myself. Nice. How did Mama Stu take it? Oh, was she my good God. about it? She loved it. Not only was yeah. she good about it, like she hopped on that plane so quick. She had a lot of questions because this wasn't available to her. And it was yeah. one of the things that I learned on retrieval day when I woke up in recovery, Mama Stu was there. And she's the one that told me, you got 32 eggs. And I thought, she's crazy. She has no idea what mm-hmm. she's talking about. That's impossible. And it's not the average, right? Like we know right. that is... It's above average number, so to speak. So I got very lucky. But when she said that to me, the doctor came in and he confirmed it. And I'm a very, very feisty patient. I ask a lot of questions. And one love of that the, about you. Hello. And one of the things I remember <laughs> when I felt when I went to sleep for the retrieval was they turned out the lights and I wasn't all the way asleep yet. 
And so I was angry when I woke up and I said, why did you turn off the lights, doctor? You didn't tell me what that was. And he said, you know what? She's a feisty one. She's been me <laughs> this whole time. And my mom said, who are you telling? Because if they were doing this procedure back in my day, her ass would still be frozen. <laughs> and of course it was a joke. We laughed about it. But when I heard my mother say, if they were doing this procedure back in my day. So when you ask me, how did Mama Stu feel about it? I felt so proud. Mm. I was taking advantage of the medical science and how far it came because this is something my mother would have done. She would have, mm. she would have preserved her potential fertility, right? Because we all know everything isn't guaranteed. Right. But this is an elective procedure that she would have done in order to give herself a little bit more time and room to do the things she wanted to do in life. Mm. So I felt very mm. proud that I was able to take that step on her behalf. I love that. Okay. So you got your beautiful multiple soccer teams of stew babies that you have on ice. And how did you go from that to advocate? I never thought that I would be in this space. I just froze my eggs for me and my future. And this happened to me in terms of the advocacy. A few years after I froze my eggs, I had a panic attack, to be perfectly honest. Somebody triggered me. Somebody asked me, when are you going to use those eggs? When are you going to defrost them? That's like this running joke that people always ask you inappropriately, right? And this person was also saying, because you know, they only last a certain amount of time and so forth and so on. And I panicked because I was like, is that a question I forgot to ask? And I went home after that conversation filled with tears. And I called the fertility clinic that I went to and they put me on the phone with the embryologist. And after they calmed my fears about the science now and all of those things, she said, don't worry, you're not the only patient that calls here panicking, even after they've had a successful procedure. Mm. There was something about hearing those words that we are brought to a place of panic before we understand our reproductive health and our fertility health and how our bodies actually work that bothered me. So as you said earlier, being an actor and a writer, I actually wrote a movie called 29 Eggs and I sold it to A&E and Lifetime. Mm. And it was super fun and I had great producers and we had a great director and we're all ready to go. And then COVID hit. Ugh. So when COVID hit, exactly. When COVID hit, I still wanted to speak to the audience that I wrote this movie for. I had done a couple of things prior to COVID online, just talking a little bit about my journey, but not full advocacy, which was your question. And so when COVID hit and the movie was kind of put on the shelf, I'm waiting to see if we're ever going to be able to make it. And that's when I started Warrior Wednesdays. That's when I started mm. doing lives because I wanted to stay engaged in the story that I wrote that I couldn't wait to tell people about. And as the months went by and the movies were no longer going to be made, I was already knee deep in this world mm. and loving it in terms of mm. advocacy. It's a burden and a blessing that I'm sure that you know. Totally. I just took my sweatshirt off that has my worst club best members, right? We always say worst club best members. And it's so true. P.S. Offline, I want to, we'll talk about that movie. I want it to come back I like, know. immediately. Well, you probably do too. These things have a way of coming back. So I know. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> okay. So I didn't know that it was until COVID that you 
joined in and really started advocating. So, cause you know, in my head, I'm thinking it's from when you did your egg freezing, which was before then I was going to ask you, cause I have seen, and even in the last two and a half, three years, quite a shift within the infertility community, the way that we're talking about it externally, what the advocacy picture looks like, how many more people are educated? Like, do you see it making an impact globally? And in terms of like the work that you're doing, what have you seen? Have you seen anything sort of tangible that's made you be like, yes, I am so glad I'm doing this? Absolutely. I mean, I, to your point, I was sharing before I was advocating. I think there's a difference. I think telling your story can be a form of advocacy because someone else is going to align with it or learn from it. So that's a form of it. So I was doing that prior to COVID. I was sharing, but I wasn't necessarily in the advocacy space where I was electing to make a change Mm. in the fertility community. So to your point, am I seeing more happen? First of all, I was introduced to so many black and brown fertility advocates that I'm sure that you know as well, like our probably mutual friend, Regina Townsend from the Broken Brown. Love. Love her. Dr. Camille Hammond. Coach Jesse. Just people that I just super love for all of the work that they do. And once I got involved with them, I started to also get involved with Resolve and the White Dress Project for fibroids. And I started to learn more about all the underlying conditions that affect fertility and specifically women of color as I am. Mm -hmm. And so I geared my advocacy towards women of color specifically because we are not in the broader national conversation of infertility, which goes all the way back to slavery, back to the times of enslaved Africans, where in this country, who we call the father of gynecology, was doing procedures on enslaved African women without anesthesia Mm. for research. So that's a whole separate conversation. But my point is learning all of these things and then how Black women are affected by fibroids and endometriosis, sometimes three times more than their white counterparts, I became focused on how do I serve in my community in a way where we are seen and we are heard and valued. And we're not just shooed away as, oh, you're a Black woman, you're fertile. Like, no, that's something that you incorrectly gathered from the history of this country. Mm. Mm. My body had like a visceral pain feeling in my gut when you talked about enslaved women being, you know, guinea pigs. It's just so, I can't even, Mm -hmm. not to just skip over that real quick, Mm -hmm. but um, it's horrible. To that end, I actually heard, I think it was on someone else's podcast that you tell this beautiful story about a girl who wasn't getting her period Mm -hmm. and she was a black girl, right? It was Mm -hmm. a black family. Mm -hmm. Will you tell that story again? And then I just want to hear from that story. Well, let's tell the story and then I'll, I'll follow up with part two. Certainly. So on warrior Wednesdays, I speak to doctors and patients and one of my favorite doctors, I kind of call her my warrior doctor is Dr. Cindy M. Duke, who's head of the Nevada Fertility Institute. I'm obsessed with her in a very, very big way. And we were doing an episode of Warrior Wednesdays and she's done many, but on this specific one, we were talking about the differences, the the internal biases that happen, racial biases that happen in the healthcare community and specifically in fertility and how sometimes going to a doctor that looks like you, you get a different level of care and understanding and even solutions 
And so the story was that Dr. Duke had a patient who brought her daughter in to see her because she hadn't gotten her period yet. And I believe she was somewhere in the age range of 11 to 14. And the little girl's friends had all gotten their cycle and they were they were started. So she just wanted her to get checked out just to make sure everything was working okay. And Dr. Duke did the exam and then after came back and asked the mother to come into her office privately. And I think she probably had a box of tissues and passed it to her and said, I'm going to tell you something that's really, really going to break your heart. And it's very difficult to hear. And she said, your daughter did not get her cycle yet because she was born without ovaries. Mm. She has her womb. She has her uterus, but she was born without ovaries. And of course, that brought so many tears and devastation. Dr. Duke informed her, you know, this is a condition just like MRKH is a condition where someone is born without a uterus. There's nothing that you did wrong. There's nothing that you did in your pregnancy that could have prevented this. This is what nature did. And she said, however, because this young mother was still in her 40s or early 40s or so, she said, what we can do is we can try to freeze your eggs. And you may need to do several rounds based off of your numbers and the quality. But what we can do is we can freeze your eggs and therefore put them away so that when she is ready to have children, if she wants children, and if she decides she wants to try to have a genetic link, she will have your eggs to use to do so. Mm. And when Dr. Duke told me this, I think I broke down like in front of my entire audience. I was done. (laughs) <laughs> but I done. But I was also like, wow, if she had gone to another physician that wasn't thinking that way, that didn't offer her a solution to this horrible diagnosis, how then would she have coped? And she wouldn't have had that possibility and that opportunity. And I believe that this mother did freeze her eggs mm. for her daughter to potentially use them in the future. Mm. One day you have to have them on your Warrior Wednesday after she's like given birth to her, yeah. you know, 20 <laughs> years down the road. Oh, I just, I just love that story. And I think the amount of conscious or unconscious bias that could have happened with a different practitioner, I'm so grateful that this family ended up where they did. So part two of the question is, I'm curious if you have any of your own personal experience in terms of what it's been like to be a Black woman navigating the medical industry field. You know, I think you've been lucky in some way to grow up in urban areas where maybe that's not as much of an issue for you, but I'm just curious if it ever has been or are you more acutely aware of it now or was this something that you sort of, within your community, did you grow up knowing this? Because I feel like it is finally statistically being talked about in a more grand way right now. And I'm just curious from within the women of color community, if it was part of your upbringing, did you know that the statistics were so heavily skewed against you? Or is that something you're discovering more now as you're advocating more? Growing up, I didn't understand how being a black and brown girl was not a safe house to live inside of in terms of medical care. I remember when my mother received a partial hysterectomy and 
I was very young at the time, and her doctor had told her, well, a lot of women are getting cervical cancer, so we're going to do this as a precaution. Mm. And my mother not arguing and feeling like, well, I've already had my children, and I guess this is what we're doing. This is this is what medical care is doing, went along with that procedure. And now that I'm in this space, and I'm so educated in this space, understanding that that was the most horrible and inaccurate form of care that probably would not have happened to a white patient. Mm. Black women's health and their body parts are so easily discarded and let go of and forgotten about. And as I grew and I learned, even in my own care from my OBGYN, there would be times where I would ask about, you know, I'm 31. Like, should I be thinking about having kids? Oh, you're fine. You have plenty of time. Black women are fertile. I've heard that. Not knowing if I am. Never saying, well, what is your goal? What is your plan? That dismissiveness that happens the lack of belief of our pain, the high death rate for new mothers in the black and brown community. I've had my own personal experiences, but being in this community and talking to patients has really been an eye-opening and heartbreaking revelation to know how we are not cared for the same. Mm, It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Thank you for mm-hmm. sharing that. So, okay. In addition to being the amazing warrior that you are, you're a beautiful actress. And I'd love to just talk a little bit about that. Did you always want to be an actress? How did you end up going down this career path? Oh, yeah. I always wanted to be an actress. I was actually talking to Mama Stu right before this interview, thanking her for being the warrior that she is. Because when We were talking about a story when I was 11 years old and we were sitting at the dinner table, my mom, my dad, and my brother and I, and I said, I wanted to be an actress. And my father said, well, you know, that's a really hard career. There's not a lot of people that succeed in that. So what's your plan B? And my mom immediately stopped him and said, there is no plan B. Her plan A is going to work. I don't raise my child to think of themselves as going to fail. I raise them to win. So if this is what she wants to do, it's going to happen. And I just thanked her for that, for really right before this interview, because that resilience, I was telling her, you're still my first call when I get a job and you're still my first call when I don't get a job. But I always wanted to be an actor and I lived in New York for a while. I was actually an agent first. What? An agent first. Yep. In New York. I know. And I was booking all of my friends and I was sending myself out on auditions. (laughs) And I was doing all these things to learn how to negotiate in this business. And then I moved to Los Angeles and booked a movie called Guess Who, where I played Zoe Saldana's sister and Bernie Mac's daughter. And then that started the whole thing. And then I started writing after doing several sitcoms, playing the Black best friend to white female leads. Didn't love it. Of course. (laughs) That trope has to go. And I wrote BBF and I sold it to Fox. It didn't get made, but that's when I began writing professionally as well and continued. BBF was Black Best Friend? Black Best Friend, where you flip the script. So basically, because I've played the Black Best Friend so much, I wrote 
a comedy about stealing the camera from the white girl. And mm. it on me because the black best friend never has a job that you go to. You never see her family. You never see where she lives. She's just there to like curl somebody's hair and give them advice based off what the audience just saw. And I was so over it in my career. I remember telling my agents, don't send me out on anything like this again. If I get the direct offer to do it, the answer is no. Mm. I'm more than that. I'm bigger than that. And so I guess I've always been advocating for myself. Yes. Yeah in different forms. And yeah, so I wrote BBF and sold it to Fox and learned how to write. I love that. Do you have a preference between writing and acting? There are such different animals, but at the same time, part of the same storytelling medium. Acting, because I've done it so long, is kind of my best friend and writing is my mistress, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I love both of them for different ways. When I do write, just like writing 29 eggs based off of my fertility journey, I write from what I know, from mm-hmm. my life, from the things that matter to me. Because what you're really selling in those rooms is your perspective on something. Right. So you knew the BBF meant Black best friend, but what they're buying is my perspective on playing that and what it means to me. And so I really learned that my truth is really interesting to watch and really valid and can tell great stories. Mm, I love that. So do you feel like by the time you went through your egg freezing journey, you felt solid in your acting career already? Yes, I was in a good place in my acting career and in my life in general, but I didn't know anything about this fertility world. And I didn't know about reproductive health. I didn't know about the cost. You know, people ask me a lot of times, how do I afford doing that if that's something that I want to do? And they always assume because you're an actress and you're on television, well, you have tons of money to do it. You could do it as many times as you want. I got a credit card, a new credit card, just like those, you know, they come in the mail and to sign up. And I called all of them and I just said, who has the biggest limit? And I put my entire retrieval and all the medication on that. And I also tell people now that ask me that question to throw themselves an egg shower which is something Yes, that, I want to talk about this. Yes, to throw an egg shower because, you know, how many baby showers have you gone to? You know, yeah. it's time for us to shower ourselves. I think in general, every phase of the assisted reproductive technology world should be able to be a funded opportunity for your friends and family. Truthfully, before I finally did my last round of IVF, which we thought we were done and that we were going to have to go the surrogacy route, we were about to start like a GoFundMe. And this was before this was even talked about. So I was like, there should be an organization that just runs campaigns for friends and family to finance their loved ones' journeys in any way, shape, or form. And it can be something so little as like, on the day of your retrieval, I want, I'm your best friend. I want to buy you dinner that night. Let me sign up for it. And it's just know it's taken care of. Because God forbid, if it were cancer, this would be like a no-brainer. Everyone has one, right? Mm-hmm. So I do love that you talk about this so openly. I love the idea of an egg freezing party. I love the idea of like a discount. If you you bring three friends and the four of you do it together at the clinic should give you a freaking discount, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm all about it. Um, and I just love that you even put that into the ethos because why not? Why shouldn't it be? How many wedding gifts have you bought? How many baby gifts have you bought? Right? Like all these things. And I just love it. I want it to happen. I remember you were on something where you were like, Eva, you need to start sponsoring this. And I well, really that is my announcement. <gasps> Get out. So, 
And for the record, I did not know that. I know. I um, <laughs> So for me, the idea of an egg shower and throwing myself an egg shower was about, you know, I would tell people how many bridal showers do you go to? How many baby showers do you go to? And how much money do you spend celebrating everybody else's choices? Throw yourself an egg shower, register at paypal.com. To your point about GoFundMe, register at a GoFundMe, do the games, do all of the fun things. Your journey may be delayed, but not denied, but we have to shower our choices and give ourselves the gift of love and support and encouragement. And so then I took the egg shower public and I partnered with clinics to throw egg showers in different cities where we bring in patients, we bring in prospective patients. And for instance, the one that I did in Los Angeles with Laurel Fertility Care, we gave away two free egg freezing cycles and Dr. Collins Michael answered questions for the guests and it was super fun. And we had little sperm cookies and we had like all of these fun ways. I had jumbo syringes and, you know, I filled them with vodka and jello and they were fun. Yeah, girl. (laughs) But there's a lot of fun ways to create a shower for yourself and for your fertility journey, right? And so I was on the Sherry show and I did mention, because Sherry was, of course, a good friend of mine and she was she was invited to my egg shower and she couldn't make it because she's in New York. She goes, let's talk about that on the show. And so we did, showed the pictures and I explained what it was and that when I went through this journey, that Hallmark didn't have a congratulations card for that. And Evite didn't have an IVF shower invitation. So what happened is, is that Evite reached out, Olivia Pollock and Karen Graham, and we all got together on a Zoom and they immediately, immediately wanted to participate in using Evite's platform to do whatever they could to normalize this new idea of giving ourselves a shower through the journey. And as I explained to them that the way that you go into these things is kind of the way that you come out, that every time someone that's on a fertility journey or going through IVF receives a baby shower invitation, it is a trigger automatically. Mm-hmm. You're happy for your friends or family that are having a baby, but it's also a reminder that you are not. And so let's find a way to normalize that. So after several conversations, and this is the announcement on April 23rd, Evite and Kelly Stewart have partnered together to create a new category on evite.com called Parenthood Journey. Mm. Parenthood Journey will have invitations that serve our infertility community like egg shower. So you'll have the Kelly Stewart egg shower invitation that I designed, as well as IVF shower, adoption shower, even rainbow baby showers for those that mm. have showers after loss. You know, and and this is the last thing I'll say about unless you ask me more, but the baby shower tradition in this country was started in 1950 during the baby boom era after war. And here we are 70 years later where millions of people go through infertility and assisted reproductive methods. So the same medical reasons that someone would be infertile in the 1950s are the same medical reasons that they may be infertile now. The Mm -hmm. difference is, is that we have advanced and evolved in our science to give people the opportunity to possibly conceive and have a baby. But yet our baby shower tradition is still stuck in the 1950s. 
So what I wanted to do and what Evite so graciously partnered with me to do is to try to change that conversation and start a new tradition where we can now not get triggered by the baby shower and not have a solution because the triggers and the trauma is real and it's going to happen. But so many people don't know how to support people that are going through the journey. And not everybody's going to want to throw themselves an IVF shower. I get it. But for those that do, here's a way that you can gather your friends and family, possibly help with the funding of it. Just have some fun. Just get some hugs, some tears. And to your point earlier, you'll be able to say like on the site, today is retrieval day. Mm -hmm. Any prayers. Or today is an implantation day. So all of a sudden, the suffering in silent stigma has a solution. It has a solution. We don't have to suffer in silence. We don't have to hide. Mm-hmm. We don't have to not celebrate our bravery. It is such a brave thing to go on this journey, mm-hmm. especially knowing that you don't know the outcome. Right. And the reality is that a lot of people that step into infertility, IVF choices may not ever get to the baby shower. Right. That's the unfortunate truth, right? Mm-hmm. So they may never have that traditional thing that was started in the 1950s. So if they don't, at least maybe they would have had an egg shower, an IVF yeah. shower, something that says you've been seen, you've been heard, your choices are validated, and your bravery is celebrated. Mm, I love that so much. What I find so crazy is... In my book, there are so many similarities between the acting path and the assisted reproductive technology path because there are no guarantees and the stakes are very high on both. And so just as we wrap up, when you think about your 29 eggs, wherever they may be cozy and tight, chilling, (laughs) and you think about your career, what part fires you up? Are you more fired up to maybe meet one of those 29 eggs? Are you more fired up to get that 29 eggs movie out there? Like what ignites you right now in terms of your, both of these high stakes paths you're on? Wow. Um, they both really do. I can't wait to be a mom. I'm really excited for the opportunity to even try, to be honest with you. I'm still in my waiting season, my W-A-I-T season. I do choose to find the right partner first. I celebrate people that do it on their own so much. And because I'm in the fertility advocacy space, people assume that I'm going to have a kid by myself. They assume, you know, they ask those questions. Well, have you ever considered a sperm donor or asking a friend? Of course, we know everybody that's on this journey has considered everything, but they actually forget that I made the step to preserve my fertility for a reason. And I'm still focused on what that reason looks like for me. So I get fired up about the fact that I took the brave step. I get fired up about what's to come. And even though nothing is guaranteed, I know that this is my path. And what I would recommend to anybody and what I would always say is that my waiting season has been filled with the purpose of advocacy and how much more proud my future child will be knowing that the time that I spent wanting them and waiting for them and praying for them, that I was in this space talking to you, that I was creating parenthood journey with Evite, that I was 
doing all of these wonderful things with these amazing women and amazing men, to your point, like best club, worst members, Mm -hmm. that I found this community because I really can't imagine having a baby before doing this. Yeah. I thought I was waiting for the right man. I think I was waiting to be who I am now. That's right. That's exactly it. That's exactly right. That's what fires me up. Much like you spoke to your mom before this call and said, thank you for your resilience. I can't wait for your babes to say thank you for your resilience, mama. And, You're going to make me yeah. cry. Okay. Good, good. No, I have, if I make you cry, I've done my job well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Can't wait. And yeah. I will I will cheer you on, as will Evite. But this is very exciting announcement. Thank you for sharing it with us. And by the time this episode airs, everybody, this will be out there. So we'll link everywhere that we can. And tell everybody, what's your favorite way to be found if people want to reach out to you? You can reach out to me at kstu222 on Instagram. Or you can go to the website to www.warrior-wednesdays with an s.com. And you can send me a message there as well. Amazing. Kelly, thank you so much. Thank you for all you do for all of us and for your community, for the infertility community. You're just a wonderful woman and I love you. As are you. I love you back and thank you for this and thank you for everything that you do. Thank <laughs> you. Can't wait to talk to you again. Alrighty. Yeah. Bye, Kelly. Thank uh-huh. you. Thank you. I just love that woman. She is such a kind soul and really just wants to help change the lives of women. Thank you so much, Kelly, for being here. Listen, anybody have questions about infertility, IVF, surrogacy, more, all what we cover on the Fertility Chick? Well, I've got the answers. So this is going to be the part of the episode where I read some of our listener questions and try to give as much help as I can. We actually got a great question from just our first episode last week from Adam A. from New York City. Love when a man listens to a fertility podcast. And he said, you talked about a mosaic girl embryo. I'll be honest, I had to look it up. Can you explain? Other people might want to know. And he's right. We should have talked about that with Dr. Wambach. So when you do genetic testing for embryos to decide which one looks the best to transfer back into the uterus with hopes of a strong pregnancy and a live birth, You get them back and they get classified as normal or abnormal, which I hate both of those terms. Please use them or think of them with grace. They do not mean anyone is normal or abnormal. It's just a medical term. If it's normal, it means the embryo divided perfectly, has all the right number of chromosomes. The outer wall is nice and strong, which will become the placenta. If it comes back abnormal, any series of things could happen. Either there's the wrong number of chromosomes or too many of one chromosome, not enough of another, or it can be sometimes what they call like a chaotic embryo where the cells aren't compact and they therefore won't multiply into what we want them to be to become a baby. And so those are marked as abnormal. Now, sometimes they come back as mosaic, which if you picture like a mosaic, it's lots of little tiny tiles So it makes sense, like little tiny cells, where some from the biopsy that they chose were normal and some were abnormal. So let's say the embryo that they tested had 200 cells when they tested it. They take a teeny tiny piece of the embryo. So let's say they pull four cells out and three of them are normal, but one of them is randomly abnormal. When you get that back, it's not going to say normal or abnormal. It's going to say mosaic because it's both. Now, 
out of those four cells, if only one was abnormal, the chances are it might be something very minimal. It might have been just sort of a bad biopsy. Like there's not an indication that it's necessarily abnormal or not fit for pregnancy, or it might go into a uterus and self-correct. And so mosaic embryos are still transferred sometimes. For some couples, women, they are the only embryos that come back. They only get mosaic embryos. And for some, they never get mosaic embryos. And you can grade the mosaicism. So you can say it's a high-level mosaic or a low-level mosaic. So bottom line, understanding that Dr. Wambach last week was talking about she had a girl in her frozen embryos that hadn't been deemed normal or abnormal, it makes sense that she tried it. I hope that clears it up a little bit. It can be a very confusing way to look at things because nothing about this is black and white as we know, but then mosaic adds an extra element of sort of gray area to embryo grading. Thank you again for being here. Please, if you do have questions, you're welcome to DM me at the Fertility Chick on Instagram, or you can send us an email, hi at thefertilitychick.co. Hi at thefertilitychick.co. We'd be happy to answer any and all of your questions. If you or a loved one is struggling through infertility, please reach out to me as well. My business is In Circle Fertility, and I hold the hearts and hands of women and couples struggling to build their families. Have a great week. 